Welcome to the Positive Turbulence Podcast, Stories from the Periphery. Here we journey to the edge to talk to turbulators about their experiences creating positive change. Hi, I'm Rob Brodnick, your co-host. What would you say if I told you I was going to bring a magician to your next corporate training session? You'd probably turn up your nose a bit. I mean, magicians are for kids, right? But that's pretty much what we did for the October 2019 AMI meeting in Chicago. We had a whole meeting themed around making the impossible possible and invited a group of magicians called Magic on Purpose to host the meeting. Hi, I'm Karen Zadinka, your co-host. And what an amazing meeting that was, Rob. I'll admit to you now that I was a little skeptical before the meeting, but by the end, my perspective was certainly changed. I walked away from that meeting with a much better appreciation for how my perception stands in my way, for what I need to make appear, disappear, and restore, as well as for the magic that happens around us every day. Talk about positive turbulence. We have Andrew Bennett and Dan Trometer of Magic on Purpose joining us today. Magic on Purpose is a collective of magicians who all use magic as a learning tool to shift perspectives. Andrew is the founder of Magic on Purpose, and Dan is one of the eight members who was also in Chicago. Coming up... Transformation stories, perspective shifts, and a little bit of magic. Did you know that women control over 85% of consumer spending? Yet most businesses fail to connect with female consumers. Looking to tap into that massive potential? Check out Innovive. They can help you find a way to connect. Head over to Innovive.com. That's I-N-N-O-E-V-E dot C-O-M. Also, we'd like to thank Mac Avenue Music Group as a contributing sponsor. To hear our theme song, Late Night Sunrise, and other great music, visit macavenue.com. Welcome, Dan. Welcome, Andrew. I've been so excited about talking to you two. The idea of showing the parallel between magic and innovation and magic and change feels unique and innovative to me. I'd like to get a sort of a sense of the way in. I can imagine that some people you talk to think this is crazy or they feel like they don't want to be tricked. There's a resistance maybe. Can you talk to me about, first of all, what the heck is magic on purpose? Why would a bunch of magicians get together to talk about doing good in the world? Aren't you a bunch of charlatans anyway? It was a big question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we'll just start from there and see how we go. Actually, there's about three questions in there. I've learned yeah, from that at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's the first 30 minutes or more. <laughs> That's good. Well, I always ask these like six-part questions, you know. Okay, part well, one. That ought to give us something Let's to go. work with. <laughs> I think maybe the first question is, mm-hmm. what is magic on purpose? I think that'll be a nice prelude to how does this all work? Over the years, I've met magicians who have used magic for purposes beyond entertainment and used magic to communicate messages and open up people's minds. Magic is so powerful because it offers everything from really powerful metaphors all the way through to the symbolism of magic and the business of magic and of which innovation is a part of that. So magic is this really rich source and it's so unique that I'm surprised at how many people haven't experienced magic live and in person. I've done some polls and I've found that about 50% of the population has never seen a live magical performance. Just the experience of magic live and in person kind of throws people a little off balance. At least it gets their attention. Over the years, I have met magicians that are using magic for different purposes. When I met, I think, 
number eight a couple of years ago, I said, well, it might be time to bring this group of people together. We, we seem to be comrades in arms. And there's not a lot of people who are using magic to communicate messages. We came together and we formed this group called Magic on Purpose. There are eight of us and we meet twice a month and we talk about how we use magic as a catalyst for enriching people's lives and organizational performance. And we support each other, we help each other develop new material, think through things. We've become like a family. We, we love each other and are very supportive. We've been doing this for two years. It's just a real bright light in our lives and we got the chance to work together as a group for the first time with the Association for Managers of Innovation in October in Chicago. That was our first time being together physically in the same space. So that was a wonderful opportunity for us. And we know for sure that it was a wonderful experience for the AMI members. It was just a, a great experience all around. So that's kind of what Magic on Purpose is. Can I jump in and ask Dan to just give me a for instance, what are you doing? Like, How are you using magic to get a message across, to change people's opinions? I think it's pretty simple, really. It, magic is such a powerful tool to communicate an idea. All of my work, and each of us in Magic on Purpose has their own focus of how we use magic and, mm -hmm. and for what purpose. For me, empathy is at the core of all of my work. One of the pieces of magic that I employ to illustrate the importance of empathy is a simple rope trick. It's the cut and restored rope. I take a piece of rope, cut it in half, put it back together. I do that four times. It's a standard piece of magic that's been done for hundreds of years. The way that I'm using it on purpose is that I invite one person up on stage with me to experience that magic right up close. Because of the way that I've orchestrated the mechanics of the trick, the person on stage, because of their physical perspective, they're unable to see how I do the trick. That's the norm, right? Normally, mm -hmm, audiences mm -hmm. can't see the how the trick works. But in this context, I've orchestrated the mechanics of it such that the rest of the audience, because of their perspective out in front of the stage, they can actually see all of the workings of the trick itself. So then they're in this strange position where they're behind the curtain, they're behind the velvet rope, they're seeing how the trick is done. And yet at the same time, they're watching one of their counterparts, one of their fellow audience members, be absolutely fooled by this mm -hmm. trick. The strength of that really is that it becomes obvious to them that, oh, reality is subjective. My truth isn't necessarily everybody's truth. What's obvious to me might not be obvious to somebody else. And in this case, it's, it's a physical difference. My physical perspective changes and therefore my reality is different. But that, that's the trick, that's the sort of the presentation. And then after the execution of the trick itself, then we debrief. It's in that debrief after the rope trick that we talk about the implications of that and how that can be implied. Because in this case, it was a physical perspective that shifted reality. But that same shift in reality can come through different sorts of perspectives, cultural perspectives age. Somebody who experiences the world as an 80-year-old is going to have a very different perception of mm -hmm, reality mm -hmm. than an eight-year-old. 
And then in my case, I ask a lot of questions. You know, what is it in your world that you're struggling with in terms of communication or change or innovation that's because of a perspective shift between you and your audience? You know, Dan, hearing you talk about this, it it reminds me of the three stages of adult learning. So you've got theory, praxis, and reflection, which is basically an idea is presented. You interact with it either through doing something or speaking to someone about it or watching the results of it. And then you step back and you reflect on what happened. And, you know, as something new enters your mind, you develop a way to learn about that. That was just striking to me, hearing you describe how you're using magic on purpose to create either individual or organizational impact. It just connects to a theory that I use often. I think that that probably comes from, well, for me, a lot of experience just doing this, but also the fact that I'm a former educator. I taught photography for about five years before ever getting into magic. I think each of us in the group take our own baggage and histories and apply that in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of our members, Anthony, who the two of you saw in Chicago, has had quite a story in his life about challenges with mental health. He uses magic to teach young people. Well, not just even young people. I mean, that tends to be his audiences, middle school up through college. He uses magic to teach people about mental health and suicide prevention and preventing self-harm. He performs the the classic straitjacket escape. And he's got a beautiful way of doing that that connects with young people. I've been in the audience when he's done this for young people. And Anthony is younger that helps to make that connection. But he's also very transparent about his own challenges. And then the metaphor of being trapped in a straitjacket, and he also has chains around him. And then he talks about how you can learn ways to be released from those constraints. You know, he kind of shrugs off the chains and then he does the dramatic escape from the straitjacket. And it's just a very visceral, dramatic way of experiencing that freedom, you know, freeing myself from limitations. There's another example of how people are using magic for this deeper purpose. I remember that activity. I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. It was hugely impactful. As you were you're describing that, Andrew, I was thinking, you know, there's an emotional component. We had a magic morning and, and I think he had six different presentations. Every one was emotional in a different kind of way. Now, is that emotional content intentional in your design or is that something that just comes through what happens? I think it's the way people respond to magic with Anthony's straitjacket. It's a visceral experience. When you experience the moment of magic, that moment of wow, there's that moment. There is some kind of in that wow moment, there is everything from joy to awe, all these emotions that you experience when you experience something that's out of the, not just even out of the norm, but, and not to be melodramatic, but miraculous in some sense. It's full body. Yeah. Magic is, it's impossible. That's what magic is. It's impossible. You see something that's impossible that you know is impossible. It's going to have an effect. It's going to stop you in your tracks if it's done well. We don't get that a lot. As intelligent adults, we don't get a moment of wonder 
where we see something that we know can't be done. Talk about turbulence. That's going to shift your thinking hard. Goosebumps, shivers down the spine. The whole thing happens. There's cognitive dissonance where parts don't fit together. And all of a sudden, you know, you bring this new reality together. Talk to me about the skeptic who came across. I'm certain that every single time either one of you present, there's at least one person in the audience sitting, their arms are folded, there may be their postures a little back, and they're like, you are so not going to fool me. Sure. Do you often get them to come across the bridge with you and to, to experience that moment of wonder? And for that skeptic who started further away than maybe the person who was eagerly anticipating the wonder, is that yes. impact even bigger? Yes. Yes on all of that. Yes, I encounter those people all the time. I would say less so now that I'm doing this kind of work, keynotes and workshops where it's not about the magic. Right. The magic is there as a tool. It's not the end in itself. But even at that, yes, there will be people who are skeptical, not necessarily so much about you're not going to fool me, but more, really? You hired a magician to come into our executive retreat? Really? Am I eight? Exactly. Exactly. And that speaks back to Andrew's comment about most people haven't seen close-up magic. Mm -hmm or live magic in person. And so they assume that... Sophisticated magic. Exactly, sophisticated, <laughs> thank you. Most people haven't seen sophisticated magic, and so therefore they default to the only place they probably have seen magic, which is at their kid's birthday party. Mm -hmm. When they come in with that sort of attitude and the skepticism and the whether it's you're not going to fool me or this isn't for me, this has no value... Mm -hmm. I know that we all deal with it in our own way. Personally, I deal with it in very consciously and deliberately setting up an environment where it's not a contest. I'm not here to fool you. It's not me against you. I'm here to offer something to you that I think will help you be better. By taking down that sort of adversarial approach that many people come into magic with, I think that starts to bridge that gap mm -hmm. a little bit. And again, I'm, I'm not, none of us are presenting when we're doing this kind of work, none of us are presenting the magic as entertainment. Yes, it's entertaining, mm. but it's not about entertainment. Right. It's there to serve the, the greater purpose of communication and shifting of thinking. And because of that, people tend to come along. Dan, I'm curious, how do you, when you talk about that environment, setting up that environment, how do you do that to create the space for people who are skeptical to feel I guess I want to say, how do you, I guess, diffuse that or, you know, in creating the space? It's through a number of ways. One, I assume that everybody else in the room is smarter than I am. And I know that when I'm presenting, I'm presenting to a room of smart people who are experts in their field. And it's a field that I don't know anything about. I'm always the weird outside guy who's at this event, right? 90% of the presenters at any event that I'm in, whether it's a meeting or a conference, they're from that industry. They're experts in that field. I'm the outside, uh, to use the phrase, I'm the positive turbulence, whether they're knowledgeable of that phrase or not. That's, that's what all of us are. The turbulator, yeah. <laughs> yes, we're turbulators. Anybody using magic on purpose is turbulators. We're from the outside. Our value is in bringing fresh new ideas and new ways of seeing things. One, I assume that everybody's smarter than me and that I have as much to learn from them as they do from me. So that's a big step. You know, I think that people, audiences, groups are going to be far more resistant to a presenter if that presenter feels like they're the expert. 
and that they are coming in with the only right answer. I don't take myself too seriously. I tend to be pretty vulnerable on stage. I tell people right off the bat, hey, I've got some ideas for you. I've got some tools, some techniques, some experiences that that could be valuable for you, but I don't have the answers. I need your help, both as a group and as individuals, to take whatever you can from these ideas that I'm sharing with you and pull out the little nuggets and apply them into your world. And I'll ask you questions that will help you do that, but you're going to do the heavy lifting in this time together. It seems to me that even outside of that world of being a presenter or even doing magic on purpose or not, it seems to me that those lessons of leave your ego at the door, the willingness to be wrong, that attitude of, look, I'm no smarter than anybody else here. I don't know more than anybody else here. It feels like those kind of ideas can be applied regardless of whether there's magic or not in the room, whether or not you're trying to. Would you agree? As you described that, Karen, I think I thought where you were going was those are good practices for innovation. Yes. Right? Yes. Not to be the smartest person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Absolutely. I think they're generally just good ideas for dealing with other humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking it's like a universal construct. You're tapping into something that's more than the expertise around either this specific thing or, or, whatever, or an organizational dynamic. It, you're affecting something that's human just across, across everyone's experience. And that drawing those two things together is you know, magical in a sense. Finding that emotional connection can be the key to unlocking your business's innovation opportunities. Innovive can help you innovate from your heart, unleashing feminine skills and values like empathy, inclusivity, nurturing, intuition, gratitude, and collaboration. Find out more at Innovive.com. That's I-N-N-O-V-E-V-E.com. I get the, the immediacy of the impact, the wow factor, and the way you can use your craft to set the stage for bigger things to come. I have a question from either both of you or really anyone in your circle. What are some of the long-term impacts on individuals or organizations that you've observed by intentionally doing some of the work you do? And I've heard a couple of stories from you, Andrew, about your three aspects and how some organizations that you've worked with years ago continue to use that framework. So I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit or, or share with our listeners some of the long tail impacts of the work you've done. The uh, thing that you're talking about, Rob, is probably about maybe six years ago now, I worked with McDonald's with the information technology department of McDonald's. The CIO, Chief Information Officer, was having a three-day leadership conference in San Antonio. He and I had met at a a charity for Ronald McDonald House, and we were getting to know each other, and I had told him about my background. And my background is I was in the corporate world for 10 years, uh, worked for Ross Perot. Then I've done long-term consulting projects using magic in long-term projects. And I was sharing that with him. And he said, well, you know, I'm having this gathering of my leaders, the top 70 leaders from around the world. It would be really great if you could share what you've learned over the years and just kick off each morning. We'll give you 45 minutes each morning for you to set the tone and frame the day. So I started reflecting, oh yeah, gosh, I've been at this for a while. What have I learned about organizations and individuals that have transformed themselves? So, and I thought about my own 
process where I've been through several major transformations in my own life where I've written dramatically different chapters in my life. I started thinking about what was I doing? What were all these clients doing that made it work? I suddenly realized that there were three things that they all did that made it really powerful. And then I started to think about them in relation to magic. So what emerged from it became the structure for those three days with McDonald's. So the first day was about a peer. All of these clients, all of these individuals got really clear on what they wanted to appear in their life. That defining what they wanted to appear was based on something fairly deep. In other words, it wasn't just we want to increase our market share by 10%. It was the purpose of our organization is to make the world a better place by doing such and such. So it was this deeper way of looking at the purpose of your life and defining what you wanted to make appear based on that deeper meaning. The second thing that people did to transform their lives or their organizations is they, they decided what needed to disappear. What do we need to stop doing? What do we need to say no to? What do we need to stop tolerating? For individuals, when they go through this process, it's a lot of times it's what kind of thinking needs to disappear, negative thinking. And then the third day, the third element was, is restore what needs to be restored. A lot of times in organizations, it's relationships between departments. A classic is the conflict between marketing and operations where sales and marketing is making promises and operations aren't delivering. And so there's this conflict between departments. What needs to be restored? We started off each day with that structure at, at McDonald's, appear, disappear, and restore. At the end of the three days, as they were debriefing the meeting, somebody suggested that that would be a great lens to look through every year when they set their strategic goals for the year. The person said, you know, we always talk about the appear stuff. We always set our goals. But it tends to be just making the list longer. We've already got a ton of work to do. And then we set goals and it adds more work. We just don't have the bandwidth for it. And we're not doing things as well as we should. And we're not following through. And, you know, there's all these limitations. The disappear part is almost as important as the appear part, what we need to get clear about what we're creating. So they decided to adopt that. The CIO said, when we set our strategic goals every year, we're going to use this lens of appear, disappear, and restore. I'm continually struck when I have these kind of conversations as we have in the podcast and with people like you, Andrew, and you, Dan, that the thing that is consistently missing from many organizations is a connection to how people are feeling. That's one of the major reasons why I went in this direction with my work and not even talking about mixing magic with purpose and message, but my experience in the corporate world for those first mm -hmm. 10 years. I worked for Ross Perot during that time. And during the time he left the company, things really changed when he left. It was quite an amazing culture when he was there. And when he left, things really changed. It's kind of the downfall of having a mm -hmm. charismatic leader. Right, yeah. Is that it doesn't get enculturated. And that was an important learning for me. You know, as I worked with clients to create great cultures, Let's not make this dependent on a leader or leadership in general, but let's let everyone take ownership of this and, and get passionate about it. Ross was there. He's gone. And then things dramatically changed. And I saw people 
very unhappy. And I was working with clients in other companies where people were very unhappy. And because of the dramas that I've had in my life, I kind of had an accelerated path towards really being concerned about our purpose Mm -hmm. on the planet. And so when I saw people who just, to your point, Karen, were expected to check their humanity at the door, it was heartbreaking. And I I wanted, I mean, I felt like I'm going to be on Mm -hmm. a crusade Mm -hmm. to change this. I want to change this. We are human beings and we can be fulfilled and joyful and, and that can happen in the workplace. It seems to me that there's a lot of people out there who do not believe that's possible, that joy and fulfillment and balance and humanity just don't exist when you work. And the way our brains function, it's not even well-informed to have this belief that we're just logical creatures because that's not the way our oh. brain works. We, you know, we've got three, three layers of brain and the, the top brain is the logical brain, mm-hmm. the neocortex. Our brains tend to respond to life, not from the neocortex, right. to expect that, well, that's where we all, when we walk in the company's doors, that suddenly we are operating from our neocortex we're really missing the opportunity to meet people where they are as human beings and work from the standpoint of our real humanity that experiences fear and sadness and and all of that creative an environment in an organization where you can transcend that and you know a, a workplace can be this kind of microcosm of a world where that we would mm-hmm. like to live in where we are living from our higher selves. One way that you do that is you acknowledge that there's fear in the workplace. You name that elephant in the room so that we can talk about the reality of the way human beings experience and live life. Yeah, I think that's an industrial age holdover. You know, in my experience over the years with organizational change, if you don't open up all three layers, as you describe it, the layers of the brain or the layers of the human experience, you're only going to have partial change. You're going to have a shift in that cognitive logical realm. You may not pull people along with you and, and they'll leave. They'll go somewhere else where they're having a, a more whole experience. Hey, let me ask all of us, the two of our guests, Karen, for you, and, and I'd like to comment it on as well. You know, Stan's book, Positive Turbulence, really talked about bringing chaos, complexity, uncertainty, these unusual things into our regular worlds, and just changing it around, disrupting it, disabling it, re-enabling it, just putting things in the mix. It's sort of the opposite of the machine. Let's make the machine not run right for a while and see what happens. Or let's see if we can make it run better in different kinds of ways. But the intention always was for positive change. And sometimes what happens in in the short-term fix may be, well, we just took a step back. Yeah, but now we can take 10 steps forward. In a nutshell, positive turbulence is the way to, to shift things for the better in the long run. But doing it through the use of novelty, surprise, ideas from the periphery, just different ways of doing things. So there's the construct set up, magic on purpose as positive turbulence. I'd like to hear from both of you a little bit about how you're creating turbulence in the world and and some of the, the good effects that it's had. While empathy is at the core of all of my work, really one of my underlying goals is to help people uncover their assumptions. Magic and optical illusions and the stories that I tell are all great tools for helping people not only uncover their assumptions, but first just realize that they're making them. We all in Magic on Purpose have that in common that everybody assumes that what we're doing is impossible. 
And then here comes this guy. And he just did what we not only assume is impossible, we know it's impossible. Just by seeing, even if it's not in the context of, of the kind of work that we do, even if you just go and see a magic show and you see somebody do something that you know is impossible, doesn't that make you want to question what else you believe is impossible? And think, well, maybe, maybe not. I try to make this one of my big takeaways is that possibility is an attitude. If you believe something is impossible, then of course it's impossible. You're not even going to try. If something, if you can't do it, if you know you can't do it, why waste the effort even try? You've given up at that point, yeah. Exactly. The word impossible is defeat. The moment you see somebody do something that you know is impossible, then you're forced to start questioning your assumptions. That's turbulence. What magic does, and I think the ways that the Magic on Purpose group uses our magic is to shake people awake. It's not always necessarily new information, but it's a a reminder to people of good practices that we stop using or we forget or we lose sight of or we get wrapped up in the drama of day to day. I talk about Mm -hmm. abracadabra. People don't know that abracadabra means what I speak is what I create. It's an Aramaic word. So reminding people about the power of words, it kind of shakes people like everybody knows this, right? We know that the way we talk to our children, the way we talk to our coworkers, our partners, the way we talk to ourselves, for crying out loud, we know that words have profound power. Words create worlds. When I let everyone know what abracadabra means. It's turbulence, but it's not necessarily shaking things up to create something brand new. It's shaking things up to remind people of, you know, I think I'm safe in saying that, right, Dan? Of uh, I think all of us in the group want to shake people up to remind them of what's powerful. Yes, what's powerful and what's possible. Following on what you've said, this idea of assumptions I don't think any of us are are coming in front of a group of people and saying assumptions are bad. We need assumptions, right? I, it's not a question of of you need to innovate because that's what you need to do because you got to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You just but it's important to recognize those assumptions. Don't toss your assumptions, but test them. You don't need to reinvent the wheel, but it would do to kick the tires now and then. Make sure those old ideas are still performing. Andrew, again, then on something else you've said made me think of the idea of words creating reality. I hear a lot of people say things like, oh, well, we, we can't do that. Well, not with that attitude, you can't. Right? <laughs> well, of course you can't. If you're telling yourself you can't, then of course you can't. When Rob starts talking about positive turbulence and chaos and complexity, it seems to me a lot of what you guys are doing is instead of working with people in this linear hierarchical way, you're really actually more understanding that the space that they're in is really more like an ecosystem. You're pulling on certain things and showing them certain things and allowing them to examine assumptions. Oh, wait a minute. This hierarchy that I thought was really a hierarchy isn't. It's actually a flow of information. Or this thing that I only thought could possibly be delivered in one way. Well, actually, no, it could be another way. This changing perspectives moment is really important for organizations. 
Andrew, you talked a little bit about that ongoing change, but the worry that I have, like, so you, you come in, you change perspective. It, it's kind of like seeing the chiropractor or the physio, or they fix you up. You feel good for a day, two days, three days, <laughs> with any luck, a couple of weeks, but you slide back. How do you keep that change going? How do you keep that changed perspective going? How do you integrate that difference in thinking from that amazing magical moment with you to Monday morning and, oh my God, here I am again. When we do a presentation and you come in and you're speaking for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half, it's a lot to expect that there's going to be a big change. I don't think it's unusual for people to be inspired in that moment because it sounds really great. I'm excited. I love those stories. I great ideas. And then they go back to work and it's just the demands of every day. So it goes away. I don't think that's unusual, but I do think there are things you can do to sustain what's covered in it. So the first thing is what in your culture might contradict what I'm going to talk about with your people. So one of the things I talk about is self-awareness and the need for self-awareness. And if you've got a culture where people are afraid to express themselves, this idea of self-awareness isn't going to go very far. And I don't want to talk to people in an organization about something that I don't want to throw seeds on concrete. I want to make sure that there's fertile soil. And my experience, the, the, you know, the things I've learned the hard way are that when the culture isn't supportive of a concept, it can actually be counterproductive because it just frustrates people and, and even angers people that, you know, well, that's, pardon the expression, but that's bullshit that will never work here. I talk to my clients about what are the cultural dynamics that will either support or get in the way of the things I'm going to share. Because if, you know, if you're bringing me in, you're paying me money, you're paying a bigger part of your expenses are in the time that people are going to spend there. We want to make sure that this is a great experience for everyone, that, the, that it makes a difference. What are the cultural pieces? And then the second part is, what can you do after the event to sustain this? So what, what's, what are the ongoing messages? The most important thing I talk to clients about is what kind of changes in their behavior as leaders needs to take place. So if I'm preaching all these different practices to their people and the leaders aren't doing it, I'll put that in a positive frame. When the leaders do it, everybody knows that that's what you do. And so if the leaders don't do it, it won't change. And if they do, it will. You know, this is deep work in consciousness, both individual and organizational. And, you know, we can give people a glimpse of a, a higher vibration for a short period of time, but then their, their environment, their, their ecosystem, Karen, pulls them right back to yeah. the, the vibrational level that's safe and okay for everybody. Yeah. How do you get that shift to where you're sort of elevating the whole? and keeping it there. It's a difficult thing. It's a fine art. You know, I think about Kurt Lewin's theory of change, these three stages where first you unfreeze, and then you do the change itself, and then you do the refreezing. And the real work isn't in the change. That's the easy part. The hard work is in how you unfreeze these old ways and old patterns, and then how do you refreeze people mm -hmm. at this higher level of vibration, this higher consciousness. And 
I think what Magic on Purpose does works in those two difficult things. It's in the unfreezing, and Dan, you talk about that wonderfully, challenge the assumptions, what holds us in place. And then the refreezing at showing, yeah, it's okay to be out there in this different place, and it actually can work. So I don't know, just a little commentary. <laughs> Wonderful commentary, though. Way to, way to sum it, it up. It makes you think about this idea of magic on purpose. If you're going through a process in an organization where something does need to be unfreezed, my goodness, Dan is a great person to bring in to kind of start, you know, if you're having an event to kick off this change process, let's bring in Dan Trometer because he's going to, in a fun way, because Dan's very fun and very funny. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to open us up, thinking about magic on purpose as a tool that you can use. I think what you get at there, Andrew, is that we can help get the ball rolling. It's not really our role to roll the ball down the hill. If there's going to be a change, if there's going to be an innovation, that's a big process. And we're there for an hour, even a full day. Come on. I mean, there's limits to what we can do. We can do a lot. But that's not really our role. Our role is to shake things up, get that ball rolling, and then try, hopefully, to empower people with some tools that will stick that they can use to roll that ball. Thank you both so very much. This was fun. I knew it would be fun. See? Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I knew it would be fun because you guys are fun. Before we thank our episode and contributing sponsors, I want to encourage you, our lovely listeners, to stay tuned for this episode's Positive Turbulence Moment coming up in about 10 seconds. First off, a big thank you to AMI, who have nurtured us in developing this podcast, is the source of so many of our guests, and of course the founder, Stan Griskevich, is also the author of the original book, and dare I say, the Houdini of Positive Turbulence. One way to reconnect the emotional side of your innovation program is to speak to Fabienne Jaquette founder of Innovive. She is vivacious, energetic, and will unleash your feminine skills to disrupt innovation. Find out more at Innovive.com. And thank you to Mac Avenue Music Group, our contributing sponsor, for providing our podcast soundtrack, Late Night Sunrise. And here's our positive turbulence moment, where Dan shows us a magic incantation that will surely put a smile on your face. Twas Brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogoves, yeah? If you want to share a positive turbulence moment or otherwise comment on what you're hearing, please drop us a line at podcast at positiveturbulence.com. We welcome your thoughts. Be sure to tune in next episode when we'll be talking to Daryl Condon, Managing Partner at HMCA in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We'll learn how a small firm is having a mighty impact and changing conversations around city spaces, binners, and decolonization. You can also head over to PositiveTurbulence.com to find out more about us, get a transcript of this episode, links to the good work that Magic on Purpose is doing, learn about our wonderful sponsors, Positive Turbulence, our guests, or check out our very cool and very diverse reading, watching, and listening to list. Until next time, keep the turbulence positive.